Well, amen. Thank you, brother. God's grace is truly amazing. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Are you rejoicing in how the pastor has moved in or how God has moved in our pastor's life? Amen. At least until, well, it still is this morning. God's still glorified even in the midst of the sickness this morning. And we just uh, have confidence that God is going to move and uh, maybe take this away. Uh, we pray that God would fully restore him so he's back up here preaching the word. And I know that brings glory to God. Does it? Amen. You agree with that, church? Amen. So y'all continue to pray uh, for him. Hey, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 is where we're focusing this morning. And, uh, you know, last week I hope you left here uh, with the idea that the Christian faith, biblical faith, is not an I hope so faith. Or it's just as good as any other one. I hope you left here last week thinking there are substantial reasons for us to have confidence in our faith and that it would move us to step out at even greater trust towards God. That's what I pray. But I want to share with you, too, that unshakable faith, when we think about this idea of an unshakable faith, it doesn't, ne- it doesn't mean we'll never have doubt. It doesn't never mean we're challenged. Uh, as I mentioned last week, there's this crisis of faith that occurs when we listen to the Word of God because it's always, always going to be contrary to our flesh. Because we were born with a fallen flesh, we were born with a sinful nature, and it's always going to, it wants to strive to focus on self and what we perceive as our needs. But what faith in God does, it calls us out to trust in a better way. It calls us out to trust in an eternal way. But if you're living today and say, you know, there's days I go through, it just seems like I don't exercise the faith I need. Well, come and get a t-shirt from me. I got a bunch of them. Uh, you know, I've been there. I'm there times that, boy, I struggle in my faith too. But I'm going to tell you where I've stepped out and trusted God wholly and completely, I have never found him to be faithless. He has very much been faithful to me. He has been faithful to my family, and I praise God for that. But I'm going to tell you, I am, I, I'm very much one who struggles with this too, uh, that, that as a sin nature, though Christ has redeemed me, uh, until we are glorified, until we are in his presence, we're going to wrestle with this. But I pray that through these sermon series that your faith will be strengthened. You know, last week we spent a lot of time, and I know it might have been in detail. Some, some had mentioned, man, he went to a lot of effort just to get through one verse. But it's very important. We just can't plop down in the middle of Scripture and then take that verse and run with it. We really got to understand the context if we're going to get a true interpretation. You agree with that, church? I mean, it's like uh, reading a sentence in the middle of a letter. Uh, you, you don't know the context it's found in, you may just blow it out of proportion. And what I really want to capture next week, and for those that weren't there last week, you're going to get a sermon in five minutes. I know those that were here last week said, well, good gracious, I should have just come this week if I could have gotten five minutes. But uh, I'm not going to go to the scriptures, but I do want to share with you uh, what the author's purpose is exhortation, striving to call the people of God to do right. And I'm going to tell you, that's what you hear week after week in this sermon when Brother Mike preaches an exhortation. He is trying to call the people to live a faithful life, to live a godly life, and do right uh, for those things in the sight of God. I mean, really, that's what it is, a striving to live a godly life. But the author's purpose, he is exhorting the people. And why is he exhorting the people? Because as time goes along, there are people that are falling away from the faith. There are many people that are falling back into Judaism, which was where most of them come out. Book is to the book of Hebrews. Uh, so he is challenging them, guys, stay with it. Stay in the faith. And how he tries to encourage them when we come to chapter 11, which I believe is really the, the focus of where the author wants to go. He says, people, you got, if you're going to be people of God, you're going to have to be people of faith. But let me share it with you. I'm not saying faith is what we hope for and what we don't see. Faith is substance of what we hope for, evidence of what we've not seen. And the reason we spend so much time in the first 10 chapters is this. The author goes through and demonstrates how God has fulfilled promises in the substance of the person, Jesus Christ. He goes through and tries to explain how Old Testament uh, worship was done, uh, the ceremonial nature, saying that that was very much a shadow of the substance fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, what was it? They met in a tabernacle. Well, Jesus is that tabernacle now. In the Old Testament, there were human high priests. In the New Testament, Jesus is the high priest. But listen, in the Old Testament, blood from animals was taken and placed on the mercy seat so the people might be for atoned for their sin. When well, the temple in heaven, it is Jesus with his own blood that goes and sets it on the mercy seat to cleanse us from sin once and for all. It doesn't have to be a yearly thing. Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient. So, to the original audience, when they heard all this evidence being gathered, saying, you know, as we reflect on our, our, our heritage from Judaism and, 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 and what God has revealed in the law, yes, we truly see that everything we've done in the Old Testament was shadowed that was substantially filled in the person of Jesus Christ. So God keeps his promises. 
And because we can see that now, or we're being drawn back to that now, we can have great confidence for the future and what he has promised to accomplish in the future. And church, that message is valid today, isn't it? When we look on the substantial nature of our faith, not only from the words of Scripture, but what the Holy Spirit has done in our life, it should give us great confidence to step out and trust God at His Word. Boy, it would be a great thing if somehow we could throw a switch in our head, right, and be instantly faithful. Oh, wouldn't that be sweet? Tell me if you ever find that switch, and I'll look for it on my body. I haven't found it yet, but no, it is going to be a struggle because we're in the flesh. We're still in a fallen nature. Though the inside has been redeemed, the outside still is all about me. And we just need to prepare for a long struggle because we will not get there until we get there. And we won't arrive until we have arrived. Amen? Right. Praise God, though. He is faithful. We're going to move on this morning uh, trying to further uh, establish this foundation of faith. And as we move through the next two verses, verse 2 and 3, we're going to see faith demonstrated. And I want you to just kind of back away from text for a little bit. I want to tell you a story. Is that all right? Hey, has anybody ever watched the Little House on the Prairie series? Go ahead and raise your hand if you're proud of it. Hey, man, I am too. That was a great show, man. I love that show. But Debbie is like, can you say connoisseur as far as shows goes? Anyway, she loves that show. And it amazes me because we'll watch the reruns now. And, man, for the first three seconds, she can tell you what the show's about. I'm like, that's amazing. How do you do that? I mean, the wagon's going over a bridge. That's how they start 99% of their shows. But she knows it. But I want to kind of get you in that format this morning thinking about good old Walnut Grove. And I, I want to pretend that somehow we could go back in time and we carry with us a, a 747 jet. And uh, we landed just outside Walnut Grove um, in a kind of an obscure place. And we go into town and we tell the people, hey, guys, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get you on this uh, metallic tubular shaped thing and we're going to launch it into the air. And we're going to go all the way down to San Antonio. We're going to treat you all to dinner and bring you all back tonight. Now, I don't know about you, but what do you think Mr. Edwards would say about that? <laughs> Mr. Edwards ain't going to buy on that. Matter of fact, the whole city is going to look at you like you got two heads or a calf looking at a new gate. I mean, where are you coming from? Flying, birds fly, people don't fly. They, if, they, if they got on that plane, it would be blind faith in what you're saying, wouldn't it? It really would be. But you advance history now, advance it to today uh, in our present time. If Brother Mike opened his checkbook... I, he's not here so I can pick on him, and said, guess what, church, so that you can get an understanding of the Holy Land, I'm going to book you all on a 747, and we're going to fly over to Israel, and I'm going to show you significant points in the Holy Land, and boy, to bring new life to Scripture as you've actually been to these places described in Scripture, how many people would go? Oh, come on, be honest, raise your hand. Yeah, you would go, you would go. How many people would be fearful of getting on a jet? Now, there may be, yeah, there's a couple, there's a few, but by and large, most of you would say, I'm not fearful of getting on a jet. Well, what makes you so different than Mr. Edwards in Walnut Grove? I'll tell you what the difference is, is the fact that there's now a history been established. You know people, how many people here have known of people that fly an airplane safely and get from point A to point B? We all have. I mean, there's a history of folks. Also, uh, you can go outside today and you look in the sky and you'll see flies going all flies, planes going all around, and they're flying the air routes, and not many of them are dropping to the ground. So you can see with your own eyes that planes fly. Well, you know, if you study a little bit different, you actually see there's some laws behind that. Bernoulli's principle is a law that has to do with an airfoil on a plane that causes it to lift. So I bet you don't think about that when you get on a plane, do you? You just have to get on a plane to go somewhere. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is you're practicing a substantial faith because it still, still takes an, a little bit of faith to get on a plane and fly that all these things are going to come about. But you're going to get on that plane because many others have done it. So I can do it. You're going to that plane because I don't see planes falling out of the sky. They seem, by and large, to get to where they're going. And if I did a little study, I'm like, hey, this thing's all about the lift on the wing. It's a scientific law, which in itself is a law. It means there has to be what? A lawgiver. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. But, but, but you get on a plane with no, really no concerns. That's the difference between you and the folks at Walnut Grove. And by the way, if Walnut Grove, we went there, we'd find a place for Miss Olsen to go, so we'd all get on a plane without her. Amen? <laughs> Boy, if you know the show, you know Miss Olsen. I, whew, that had, God had to pour out a lot of grace on me to love that woman. Amen? Whew. But anyway... Let's get out of Walnut Grove. So as we look at the passage this morning, we look at these two verses, we find things very similar to that story. Uh, verse three or verse 2 says, For by it men of old gained approval. So when we start contemplating the Christian faith or biblical faith, 
We're not going at it as a long ranger that the first person that's ever stepped out and trusted God. As a matter of fact, we're a part of a long part of redemption history. There have been many that have gone before us, and we have found evidence they trusted God, and God has proved himself faithful. Very similar to if you're going to fly, many other people you know have already flown. So we, we trust in faith there is a heritage here. There is a heritage of faithful people that have gone before us to very much like the way. Can you see that? Well, if you look at verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the world's repaired by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We're going to get to a little bit about observation just in a few moments, looking at just the general cosmos, if you will, the created order. And is God actually speaking through that? We're going to address that this morning too, all with the purpose of building our faith and making our faith, or making us realize our faith is more substantial. It is not a, a happenstance faith. It's not an I hope so faith. It is a faith grounded in truth. And when I say truth, I mean absolute truth. Faith that is applicable to all people in all places and for all time. It is absolute truth. Well, let's look at verse 2 again. I know we've read it a couple times. Let's read it again. For by it, men of old gained approval. The author is saying, listen, by this substantial faith, by this faith that has evidence that is true, men of old live and they were approved or commended. Your translation might say commended of God. Men of old. And it's very interesting, this chapter, this Hall of Fame of Faith, Hall of Fame of Faith, um, kind of captures a lot of that. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 4. And I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but I want to tell you, show you how many times he's referring to people of faith. Verse 4 says, by faith, Abel. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch. Look at uh, verse 7. By faith, Noah. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham. Look at verse 17. Again, by faith, Abraham. Look at verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Jacob, Jacob. By, verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. And he goes in by faith, Joshua. Goes all the way down to verse 32, and the author is just saying, listen, he's almost getting tired. And he says this, and what more shall I say? For time will not fail me if I tell of Gibeon, Barak, Samson, Jephna, David, and Samuel and the prophets. He said, there is a long list. There is a great heritage of faithful people that have gone on before you who trusted God, who have found him faithful. If we continue reading the next few verses, this will get us exciting. It, boy, we, we like this part of faith. We do. I mean, it appeals to us, I think. Look at it. Verse, uh, verse uh, 34. This is what these people of faith did. Quenched the power of fire... Oh, I'm sorry, back up to 33. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and even women received back their dead from resurrection. We like that part of faith, doesn't it? Man, that's almost marketable. You know, I could almost start a religion saying, just have faith in God, and boy, great things are going to happen. That jalopy you're driving is going to be changed in by a Rolls Royce. That's the kind of faith that sells, doesn't it? Man, you could almost market that. I think I'm late on that. You know, our pastor has, there are already a lot of TV guys. If you look at them, they're, 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 they're hey, seed money, right? You send me your money, and because you're planting uh, that seed money in me, you're going to receive all kind of profit and, and blessings as a result of it. I love the way our pastor handles that. He said, if they truly believed in that, that seed money idea, they'd be sending money to us. Doesn't the principle work both ways? If they send money to all of us, wouldn't God make them richer than they are now? <coughs> kind of makes sense. Why don't it go both ways? But see, that's foolishness. And I'm going to tell you, that's the marketing of faith. That's the marketing of Christianity. Because the Bible, the Hebrews chapter 11, the author is very careful. Yeah, these, uh, because these men of God were faithful, oh, awesome things were happening. Boy, I'd like to be able to quench fire. I'd like to be able to shut the mouths of lions. Man, I'd like to conquer kingdoms. Those are all great things. But the author doesn't stop there. This is the uh-oh part of faith. Let's read it together. The second part of 35, and he says, and others, other people of faith, were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. 
They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men to whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes and grounds. God, give me faith. But when we pray, God, strengthen my faith, we don't really pray for this, do we? Now, Lord, I don't desire to wander in deserts and live in holes and wear sheepskins. That's not the faith I'm looking for. I want the good stuff. But, you know, that's so myopic. That's so nearsighted. You know, God uses tragedy and tough times to reveal his glory, to reveal himself many times. Paul understood this idea that the Christian faith, if we're going to be truly faithful, there's going to be some great times. There's going to be some down times too. Look or listen to, as I turn to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 says this. This is Paul writing. And by the way, Paul's writing from prison. He's writing from a prison cell. But I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, as he's talking to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from want in prison, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with the humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of abundance and suffering need. Paul said it doesn't matter what so often we consider to be important, the comforts of life. That's irrelevant. I've learned how to be content when I'm starving. I understand how to be content when the table's full. I've understand whenever I preach the gospel and people have received it and rejoiced, but I also understand when I preach the gospel and they've dragged me out here outside the city and, and they tried to stone me to death. I understand what it is to be well off. I understand what it is to suffer, but I have found contentment. How, Paul? How in a prison cell when you're writing this thing about your life history, about you've done well and you've done bad, you've suffered, but you've done well. How, 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 how can you be so content? Well, Tim Tebow told us. Some of you got that. <laughs> Philippians 4.13. You know how Paul found contentment? Remember Tebow guys? Had it on thing? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be tent when people are mocking me and scourging me and throwing me out in the city as dead because I'm in Christ. I can be tent when my table, content when my table is full, realizing God is now blessing me. But whatever station or whatever situation I find myself in life, Jesus is faithful. God is faithful. He is ever-present. You know, it still resonates in my heart. You remember that pastor we had here from Jerusalem? Remember, he preached, and he said one day the Muslims come, and they beat him up, threw him in a dumpster, and pretty much marked on the dumpster, you know, anybody that confesses Christ, this is your result. But you remember what he said after that? He said, in the dumpster, beat up, bruised, he never felt so close to God. Wow. Present-day substance that God is faithful. God never promised us that life would be easy. Matter of fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, life is going to be a struggle, probably more so than you ever trusted Christ because now you're in opposition of everything the world wants to throw at you. God has called you to be his ambassador. He has said you're very much a pilgrim going through this world. Then why do we have a resident mentality when God has called us to be a pilgrim? I'm going to tell you, everything that you're counting worthy now as far as possessions, 100 years, either your kids are still fighting over or it's going to be in the ashes and dust. Amen. Only thing that's going to be eternal is that which we do for Jesus Christ in faith believing that he accomplishes what he sets out to do. When we talk about tough times, I want to address this. Though it's not in Scripture, I want, to, I want to talk about it some. You know, sometimes there are tough times brought on us. It's because of sin in our life. It is. It ought to be refreshing to some extent because if we're being punished for sin, that means we're God's children. So there ought to be some comfort there. But man, why would we want to stay in the woodshed whenever we can come and just come to our Father and say, God, I blew it. I have sinned. I want to turn my back on that and turn my face towards you. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us those sins. But as we face troubled times and you're thinking, oh my goodness, God is this, God is that. No, you know what? God may be disciplining you. And you know what? You never have to guess about that sin because the Holy Spirit resides in you. You know when you sin, you know it. 
You don't have to say, man, I wonder if I sin today. If you start asking questions like that, the Spirit of God's going to bring up things in your heart and repent of them. And you know what? Standing before you this morning is a sinner. The only difference between me and somebody that's not going to heaven is I have repented of my sin and placed my total faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the remission of my sin. And in a substantial way, the Holy Spirit moved in my life. And as slowly over the years, though if, if 100 is where I need to go, I'm about on number three now, God is conforming me to the image of his Son. But I want you to get that this morning. Sometimes tough times fall on us because we are in rebellion against God, even as his people. But let me share another thing to you. Sometimes tough times are brought on you by God. Wait a minute. God loves us. Yes, he does. And sometimes he brings difficult things upon you to work something out through you, to teach you something of himself. And I'm going to tell you, in my life, in my faith, my testimony, I have learned more about the nature and character of God when I was in the valley more so than I ever had on the mountaintop. Because, you know, on the mountaintop, we have those prayers, don't we? When everything's going great, it kind of goes that, Lord, we say what I call the King James prayer, thou art, King James prayer, Lord, thou art good, the sky is blue and the grass is green. Thank you for these things, Lord. Amen. Now, how sincere was that? That was such, that almost made me do a, a brother Mike this morning, Ugh, get sick. But in the valley, see, there's no times for those prayers, are there? There is a prayer of desperation. Oh, God. Oh, God. Forgive me. Lord, help me see what you're trying to do through this difficult time. And I'm going to tell you, in the valleys of my life is when God has revealed more of his nature and character ever than the mountaintops. So in a way, I thank God for the valleys. I don't enjoy going through them, but I thank God for the valleys because I know he is trying to accomplish something. He's a good father. He is trying to either accomplish something in my life or he is trying to accomplish something awesome to bring glory to his name. Now, the text said men of old, those who've gone before us, exercise this type of faith. Y'all remember three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember those fellas? Faithful guys. There was a king, Nebuchadnezzar, back in Daniel chapter 3. Thought pretty highly of himself, bet him an altar, and he says, guess what? Now, whenever I blow the horn... Everybody's going to bow to this, and I'm commanding it. So, da, 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 da. I don't know if that's what the horn sounds like. But the horn was sound, and guess what? Everybody's bowing except for three guys. And allow me, just for the sake of time, to accelerate this foot and put it in a little, my version, my little King Jimmy version, if you will. But he said, evidently, the fellas didn't hear me make this command. Guys, just in case you didn't understand, I, I'm going to sound this horn. You guys need to bow to this thing I made over here. Da, 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 da. Three guys are standing. Makes the king mad. And y'all know the story. Heated the fire up threw them in there. Now, in a fire, the fiery furnace. And we know when Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he says, you know, I thought I threw three in there, but I sure enough see four dancing around in there. So, of course, he called them out, right? But before we go any further, I want you to understand, this was a real event to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I am convinced they didn't know how God was going to deliver. I knew they were convinced. If you read the text, it says this, King, we're not careful to answer you in this, but we want to be real careful. Our God can deliver us, and he will deliver us. You know what they were saying, I think? I think they're saying, we're going in that furnace, and we're either going to heaven or we're coming back out. We're going to be delivered. But you know what they said? Even if he does not, King, be very careful and listen to this, we will not bow. We will not violate the commandment God has given us. That's commitment. But you know what? Can you imagine yourself in that situation? That took a whole lot of faith holding on to the promises of God and say, you know, God, my life is not about me, it's about you. You know, my life is to bring glory and honor to you. And if it's to die in this thing, I don't have to understand it. I just believe by faith that you're going to accomplish a great work through it. Well, in this case, what happened? We go back to, uh, and I'll read it for you. You don't necessarily have to read it, but it's in uh, Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 through 23. Or 28 through 23. 28 through 30. Daniel chapter 3, 28 through 30. This is the king's response. This is how what happened in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego affected King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what he said. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb to limb, and her house is reduced to rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. 
Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now listen, I'm not giving justification what Nebuchadnezzar did, tearing people limb to limb for not coming to faith in God. But I'm going to tell you, there was something God accomplished in that nation, did he not? Man, he moved the heart of a king, but how did he move it? He moved it through trials and tribulation that faithful people went through. I, I'm convinced that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, prior to the furnace, they had no idea how it was going to turn out, but they knew it was going to turn out well. I'm, to this day, I'm either going to be in the presence of God or I'm not going to be burned. One of the two is going to happen. That is, faith, that is substantial faith. That is a faith of substance. Just like now we get on airplanes because other people have gone, that are to strengthen our faith as we look at these men of old and how they demonstrated their faith. Well, just a few pages over, uh, chapter 6, you know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel, uh, very uh, good friends with the king, King Darius. Daniel was a devout Jew. He prayed every morning uh, with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Well, there were some other counselors around the king that didn't like Daniel very much. And they, you know, it was so great of a testimony about the life of Daniel is they said, you know, we're not going to find any fault in his integrity. We're not going to find any fault in his ethics because he worships this God. So we've got to go to plan B. What a testimony of Daniel. So what they said is that we're going to write a law, King Darius. They guess what? Everybody pray. They've got to pray to you. Now, Darius, being lost and self-centered, probably said, great idea. I like the idea of everybody praying to me. Sounds good to me. So they put it in the law that's, that cannot be violated in any way. And the Scripture is very careful to say this. When Daniel heard the law was passed, he opened the windows and prayed as he did before. Human law had no impact in how he was going to serve God. Well, of course, the enemies heard it, and y'all know the story. They told King, broke his heart, but he had to obey by the law and threw Daniel in the den of lions. And what is so funny from this story is... <laughs> Daniel's in there sleeping with the lions, and the king's worried and it's awake all night. It's just the opposite. You'd think Daniel would be all tense, oh, and the king would be sleeping like a baby, but yet it's the king who's up all night worrying, and Daniel's probably down there snoozing, getting the best sleep of his life. Next morning, the king's all worried and goes there. Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? I fear not. My God's delivered me out of the mouths of the lions. The king was exceedingly happy took those who plotted the law and threw them into the, the, the den with the lions. And guess what? The lions became very hungry at that time and devoured them. But why I tell you that is you see the same thing. In, in the same book, Daniel chapter 6, 25 through 28, look what happened to uh, um, um, Darius. Or, yeah, Darius. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men everywhere language who were living in the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. A faithful man living a faithful life caught in a tough circumstance. But instead of saying, woe is me, there is the passion inside him that I'm going to serve God. You know, bring it death, bring it life, bring it prosperity, bring it poverty. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be faithful to him. And through that faithfulness, God changed the heart of a king. You know, I wonder sometimes in our communities we live in, in our nation we live in, people aren't really impressed with Christian, the Christian faith because there's really, to them, no difference than the Elks Club or the BPO or, or some other club. They do good things. But there's no demonstration of faith in an almighty God. I wonder sometimes. Bad things happen to you and I today. And I'm going to confess to you sometimes when things happen like that, that they don't go the way I think they ought to go or, you know, finances don't add up or, or, or just something or, you know, Debbie Burns dinner or something. No, I'm kidding, baby. But things don't go right. My, my, my first reaction is many times, God, why me? You know, why, why, what's, what's going on? Instead of standing up and be a man and woman of God and saying, Lord, I don't understand. But you know what? That's not necessary. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be faithful to you, and I'm going to understand that if it's not because of sin that you haven't revealed to me, there's something you're trying to accomplish, either for my good and your glory. I'm going to, if if I'm, you're trying to grow me, praise God. If you're trying to work through my circumstances to impact my community for the kingdom of God, then praise God, let me be found faithful. For by it, by faith, men of old gained approval or were commended of God. Can y'all hang with me just for a little longer? I've got one more illustration I want to show, and I think it's important. 
I mean, there's another point too, okay? So y'all can hang on. Everybody say amen if you hang on for about 15 more minutes. Amen. All right, thank you. Thank you. That's encouraging. Say amen if you felt like you had to say it. No, I was just kidding. No, I was just kidding. When we kind of consider this idea of a sovereign God in control of all things, and we know that God is sometimes going to allow us to go through circumstances, when I think about and try to pull those two together in my mind, I'm again carried back to an Old Testament faithful person, and that person is Joseph. Now, when we look at the life of Joseph, I want you to see two things, something God accomplished immediately, but something God accomplished, accomplished even further back in the picture, but he worked through trials and tribulations of Joseph. And as I read through the latter part of Genesis and I see the life of Joseph, I never see him question why God is doing what he's doing. Now, we know Joseph. He was born to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and, and Joseph was loved by Jacob. And the other brothers knew it. Now, how well you went that one? How well do you think that one ever you know from Scripture didn't go very well at all? As a matter of fact, when he came out to visit them one time, they're like, oh, gracious, here he comes, that funny-looking coat again. You know what he decided to do? i tell you what let's do. Let's kill him. Take his blood and put on his coat and carry it back to Dad and say the lions ate him. One of the brothers stood up for him and said, let's not do that. Let's throw him in the well for now. So they threw him in the bottom of a pit. But I'm going to tell you something. Being rejected by his family in the bottom of that pit, he was dead center in the will of God. And what I want you to see as I talk to you this, I want you to see valleys and heights that Joseph went through. But I want you to see the steadfastness of his faith and the faithfulness of God through it all. So he's in the bottom of his pit, so the boys got together, the brothers got together. What are we going to do with him? I tell you what, here's a caravan. Let's sell him into slavery. Now imagine you're Joseph. And not only has your brothers thrown you in a pit, but now they've dragged you out and they have sold you into slavery, carrying you to a distant country. If that was you, or would you be thinking about this time, man, I am dead center in the will of God? No, I wouldn't either. But he was. We know he went to Egypt. He got to work for a, a ruler in Egypt named Potiphar. Potiphar recognized that there was something different about Joseph, and Joseph wound up working himself up to be the number one servant in Potiphar's house. Uh, there was nobody above Joseph except for Potiphar. Things are good now. You see, now we're back on the mountaintop. Not best. I'm in a foreign country, but still, I'm, I'm eating. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a good situation here. Well, Potiphar's wife starts trying to make the move on him. I don't know why I had to say it like that. Make the move on him. <laughs> but she did. He resisted. Uh, finally, she cornered him one day, and he said, I cannot sin against God. Runs out. She grabs his cloak, then carries to her husband and said, See this Jew you brought in here? He just tried to take advantage of me. So now Joseph is thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. But in prison, he is dead center in the will of God. You think Joseph understood all this that was happening to him? God, I have with all integrity in my heart been faithful to you. I have been framed. If anybody had a reason to whine and complain, it was Joseph. Was it not? My family sold me into slavery. I tried to make the best of what I had. Now I'm in prison for a crime I didn't commit. We know what happened in prison. He bumped into a cupbearer for the king and a baker for the king. They had dreams, and uh, they said, Joseph, let me share them with you. And Joseph said, oh, that's good news for you, cupbearer. Hey, in a few days, you're going to be restored and be back to king's cupbearer. The old baker said, whoo sounds pretty good to me. Joseph, here's my dream. What happened? Oh, in three days, you're going to be dead, dude. He told the cupbearer, he said, when you get back to Pharaoh, uh, remember what I did for you. Maybe it might show favor. He didn't right away, but eventually the Pharaoh started having visions and dreams, and Finally, the cupbearer remembers, hey, there's Joseph in prison. He, he told me what my dreams meant. So sure enough, he was able, above anybody else, to interpret Pharaoh's dreams about the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows. Basically, there's going to be a seven years of plenty, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph pretty much said, listen, here's what we need to do. We need to store up all this grain so when there's seven years of famine, we have enough to feed everybody. Pharaoh says, good idea. As a matter of fact, you are number one in Egypt except for me. You are number two in charge. Wow, from prison to now second highest in all Egypt. You see the ups and downs in that life? You'll never see in the Bible where Joseph ever, now he may have been as deep as heart as we all would, but what is demonstrated by his life is he is trustworthy, he's faithful to God all the way to the end. Now I told you that he was in the middle of God's will. There was a promise God made back in Genesis about a seed. The seed of the woman was ultimately going to crush the seed of the serpent, the devil. And we understand that to be the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a famine coming. Jacob is in line with that seed. So the near vision is this. 
all of Joseph's family moved into Egypt where they were fed and taken care of, and the seed was protected. But a bigger picture, if you back way up, God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. He said, you know what? There's going to be no nation like you. Your offspring is going to be like the sea or stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore, and you're going to be blessed. They went into Egypt, about 100 people. They come out with hundreds of thousands of people. They come out with the riches of Egypt because they spoiled Egypt. You remember the count? So even in that, God is beginning to fulfill his promise through the life of Joseph, what he promised back in Genesis chapter 12. You think Joseph had a picture of this idea of a sovereign God behind everything, and he was going to be faithful regardless of what life threw at him? He was going to strive for holiness, and he was going to have faith in God. Was he always happy? No, he wasn't. You cannot tell me being at the bottom of a pit, being sold into slavery by your family is a time where you're happy. You can't tell me that being in prison, falsely accused for assaulting a woman is a happy time. But God was using that. I want to share this one verse back from Genesis. <laughs> it's kind of a funny account, and most of you remember this. Guess what? Dad's in Egypt, all 11 brothers in Egypt, and Joseph's in Egypt. Dad dies. What do you think the fear of the brothers are? Oh, my word. The boy we sold into slavery is now the second highest in all of Egypt, and Daddy ain't here no more. <laughs> Can you see the tension building in the 11 brothers? Joseph could have done with them anything he wanted to. He could have uh, exact judgment on them. He said he could, have made tor- he could have done anything he wanted to. He was the second highest in all of Egypt. But he had this understanding about a sovereign God. Listen, read it with me in Genesis chapter 50, or listen, 15 through 20. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge? What if? bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him. And behold, we are saying, We are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Now listen, this is key. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God, what a beautiful picture. Joseph had the opportunity to really come down hard on his brother. He said, Guys, you understand, y'all were wrong. I'm not going to discount the sin. Y'all were wrong, but God had a bigger picture. Even in your wickedness, even in your sinfulness against me, God used that for a purpose that saved many people, specifically the promised seed that would come through Jacob. That is, that is just a, 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 a picture of the power of God and what he can accomplish through faithful people. Man, I want to be there. Do you want to be there? Oh, I so long to be there. If it, I want to have that faith that's unshakable like that, and I believe God wants to give it to me. But I'm going to have to trust him, ultimately, aren't I? Verse 2 ends with this. He said, all the elders, those that have gone before us, died, but they were commended of God and are commended here. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus says something when he talks about the, the talents. Remember, he gave the talents away and the ones that were good and faithful servants. And I pray this is the words you long to hear one day because we're all going to stand before God. I want to hear these words. Well done my good and faithful servant. Now enter the joy of your Lord. I, I want to hear that. Do you want to hear that this morning, church? It's possible, but we got to live faithful. we got to be a faithful people towards God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. i got one more point, and it'll go quick, and that's verse 3. 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which are not visible. In other words, ex nihilo, God created out of nothing. I find it very interesting, this verse. You see what it says in verse 3? By faith, we understand. Now, I'm going to tell you, most people in the world today says, you're either a person of reason or you're a person of faith. That's where the world wants to go. If you're a person of reason, then you're studious. You have a PhD by your name, and you have a very high education, and you don't just trust things that are out there. I mean, that's kind of what we get communicated, right? I, I did a poor job of trying to demonstrate a scholarly person because I'm not. But 
listen, what I'm trying to argue from the page of Scripture, faith is not blind. Who gave us our mind? God gave us our mind. He didn't create us as robots. He gave us a mind to reason things. And what the writer here is saying, by faith we understand, implies that though it's still faith, because who was around at creation? None of us. We weren't there. But we can use our mind to understand some things. Let me tell you, if we never saw a thunderstorm before, pretend like you never saw a thunderstorm before, you see this bright light and you hear a noise. Hmm, the sound must be associated with the bright light. That's something you conceive with your mind. The Greek word here is noeo, which really literally means that. It's not something you sense. It's something you perceive with your mind. But you start putting two to two together. Well, when the storm's further away, the sound takes longer to get here. And you might kind of come to the conclusion that way. Sound is slower than light. That's why we see the light before the sound. These are things your mind conceives. Well, you know, when we look out on all creation, um, uh, God expects that same thing. When he created all the cosmos, all that everything, all created order he created, he left his fingerprints everywhere. And it's supposed to be speaking of him. Josh McDowell said this, he's a Christian apologist, said, My heart cannot rejoice in what my mind rejects as false. He says, My heart cannot rejoice in something that my head's telling me that's wrong. God created a mind. God left his fingerprints in all the created order so that we would know that he is. Psalms 19 says this, a great passage when it talks about, and even kind of comes along with our verse 3, says, uh, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What is that psalm telling us? That when we just go out and gaze into stars that it's something that tells us there's somebody behind all this. When we look at the complexities of even the human body through a microscope and we see order and design, it's supposed to tell us somebody's behind all this. In Psalms 19, creation is communicating the existence of God. I want you to look at three things very quickly from a, a, a theologian who lived hundreds of years ago, Thomas Aquinas, and he really tried to use these to try to convince people the truth of God's word. In other words, through reason. Hey, understand from creation that God is. And the first thing he said, which really ties to our verse here about ex nihilo, God speaking everything out of nothing. And I'm going to ask you something this morning. I want you to use your mind and understand this. What can come from nothing? I mean, just for a second, okay, there's no God, there's, there's just nothing. There's nothing. What can come from nothing? Nothing. You're right. Regardless of what philosophy you hold in life, it, it doesn't matter. Pick one. Pick evolution. Pick, pick whatever philosophy you want to carry for life and in infinite regression, carry it back to the beginning. You come back to the understanding there had to be what Aquinas called an uncaused cause. Now, what do I mean by that? We already agreed that if there's absolutely nothing, no God or nothing, then there will always be nothing. But if there was something, even if it was only one thing, it allows for the possibility of everything. You see where I'm going with that? It's the uncaused. Regardless of what belief you hold, there is an uncaused cause. Uh, even if you want to, and I don't even want to say this, but if you believe in evolution, it had to get back to something that was just one thing that split into two, that split into four, that split into eight, that became us. Now, talking about faith, whoo! <laughs> you want to take a walk on faith on the wild side, try diving into that. There's no substance there. There's no evidence there. But what Aquinas is trying to get everybody to understand that says there is no God is like, use your mind, understand Nothing can come from nothing. There had to be an uncaused cause, something that was always there that set it about. And what he's saying from Scripture is God is that person. He is the one in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He is the uncaused cause. So when we look at creation, we look at verse 3, by faith we understand the worlds are created out of nothing, is in essence what he said. He's saying God brought it about. He was the uncaused cause that spoke it. But also, another thing you can look into the heavens, everything's in motion, man. The earth's spinning, the planets are rotating, the galaxy's moving. Then I'm going to ask you a question, then how did they get moving? Well, you say a force. Great, where did the force come from? 
I'm not talking about the force. <laughs> Gravitational forces, uh, inertia, uh, all the different energies that are out there, where is the source of that? If there was no energy, would not everything stand still? If I had a ball on the stage and we just looked at it and nobody came near it and there was no wind and the stage never rotted, when will the ball move? It'll never move until somebody comes over and pushes it. Aquinas would say, that's the prime mover. The person who got everything started is the same person as the uncaused cause. He's God. And not only, praise God, Hebrews chapter 11, 1, did he start it, he maintains it. You know, why don't we call our physical laws and, and various laws of science, why don't we call it laws? Because they're unchanging. They're set in stone. And I'm going to ask you something. If there is a law, what does that imply? There is a lawgiver. Understand. Faith with understanding. There's also order in creation. And this is amazing to me. I'm not a doctor, but, you know, when I get my eyes checked, you know, he takes that snapshot of the eye. Hey, forget everything else in creation. Just look at the eyeball. What an amazing feat. And I have to have two choices, really. I have two, don't I? What a freak accident that was. <laughs> or I have to say, somebody designed this. You know, I work in the FAA, and we got a lot of radar systems and radio systems, and... Uh, if I told you this morning, like, yeah, we just installed a new radar site, it's pretty cool. How'd you do it? Well, we took a bunch of transistors and resistors, threw it in a building, and we shook it around for millions of years, and then set it down, and boom, it was a radio. You would, again, look at me like I had two heads, or like a calf looking at a new gate. What? What? Are you crazy? If I had a hundred-piece puzzle of the world... And turn around and shook it in the box, and a few minutes later come out and say, Hey, look, it all fell together. Again, you'd think you're crazy. It took somebody to put that in order, it took somebody to put that in place. And Aquinas would say, That is a creator God. He did that, He spoke that into existence. All the world to use our understanding to come to the realization that there's a God. But I'm going to tell you, if we left Psalms 19 right there, we would still be miserable because we would know there's a God. But how in the world do we approach him? What are his expectations? Psalms 19.7, and we're closing here. It said, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Here's a cool thing. It's not only does God allow the universe to communicate his existence, he spoke personally. And he says a couple things that for some of you this morning might be the first time you've heard it or maybe in your heart you realized it, the Bible says that we are sinners. Now, what is sin? It's disobedience to God. Now, if you're starting to understand this this morning, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But let me share with you. You're a sinner because the Bible says it, but I can prove it in your own heart. Have you ever lied? Ever, ever, ever told something that wasn't untrue? Most of us in here would say, well, yeah, I have. Then you're a liar. Oh, that's strong terms. If I killed one innocent person, what would I be? I'd be a murderer, wouldn't I? Doesn't, it is not a number. Oh, after three, you're a murderer. No, the first time I kill somebody innocently, that's murder. The first time I lie, I'm a liar. If I ever took something that wasn't mine, ever, without permission, I'm what? A thief. That's strong words. Do it one time, you're, you're categorized as a thief. You violated the law of God. If I looked upon somebody else with unclean thoughts in my head, the Bible says you're an adulterer. Strong words, Jesus' words. If I ever hated somebody in my heart, I'm a murderer. If I ever looked at my neighbor's thing and just coveted it, whoa, I wanted it. That's sin. You know, here's something I'm willing to faith out. That we're all sinners. And some of you just may not aware of that. Here's a fearful thing. To die in that sin and stand before God as a lying, murderous, adulterous thief. How well do you think you would stand? Not well. You know, something else we have in us that's kind of remnant because we're created in the likeness and image of God, we have this understanding of justice, don't we? You know, if, if one man killed 20 innocent people and the judge said, I want to be a good judge, I'm going to let this guy go, we would all scream in the core of who we are because justice wasn't served. Well, if we're sinners standing before God, what does justice call for? Condemnation. 
condemnation. The Bible's very clear in 5a, says God demonstrate his love toward us and that while we were sinners, while we should have been condemned, Christ died for us. He is our substitute. Oh, the horrific wrath that was poured on the cross of Calvary on Jesus Christ. I want to, don't you understand, that is God's wrath toward sin. Now, by faith believing in Jesus Christ, he would have taken our sin, his righteousness would be imputed to us. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. I pray here this morning, and I've shared this, and I realize that uh, some are, it always happens. People look at you like, eh, whatever, whatever. This past week is amazing. My son wrote me this letter. And as I read it, I, I really teared up. But anyway, I'm going to try to do it here. He says, listen. He said, on another note, I had the opportunity. He wrote some things before. On another note, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with my SNCOIC, Senior Non-Commissioned Officer in Charge, and my team leader. He's in the Marine Corps in Mediterranean right now. But he says, I shared the gospel with them and to no avail again. I just started reading Ezekiel two days ago. In the first two chapters, God is telling him not to worry himself with whether or not they listen or not, but to keep preaching. I thought that was interesting. I sometimes feel like I'm doing something wrong. Because <sighs> the truth of the gospel is so obvious to me. The truth of the gospel is so obvious to me that I can only conclude that it isn't being received because of the delivery. I realize this may be untrue or irrational, but I don't know. We talked a lot, and everyone concluded in agreement with me that the most important, most consequential question in life are, is there a God, and if so, what is the truth about him? Yet I'm pretty sure neither of them laid awake or is determined to investigate this any further. My heart breaks with my son. Me, like many of y'all, we share our faith day in and day out. And people are like, why are you foolishly pursuing that? But I'm going to tell you, stay with it. Keep preaching the word of God in the way you live and use words to share his hope. I had wrote my son back. I said, son, what God has called us to do is to bear witness. The Holy Spirit of God has to intervene in the heart. But whether people listen or not does not give us reason to not communicate truth to other people. I pray this morning. You know, as we talk about the gospel, I've been trying to build this case for a substantial faith, and I'm going to tell you, to me, it is clear not only from creation can I see God's handiwork, but I know, I know my own sin. I'm very much aware of my own sin. I am aware of what would happen if I stood before God in my sin. But Scripture has shared with me a truth that Jesus Christ died for that sin. Amen. And then when I die, I'll stand before him not on my own righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. And I am called to live faithfully for him until I draw my last breath. And whether this week brings prosper, prosperity or poverty, sickness or health, I want to bring glory to his name to you. And it's only through faith that we're going to be able to achieve it. Would you please stand with your eyes closed? I'm going to pray and we're going to...